0: Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot, because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I wanted to gather some of my favourite people who are advocates of children and nature, and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Our next guest is someone I had the honour of standing alongside on the TEDx stage in Brisbane earlier this year. She is a music therapist with 18 years experience in paediatric healthcare and has worked intensively in intensive care and palliative care. She believes that music provides a meaningful connection with a dying child and the death of the child should be one of dignity and love. Her TEDx talk named Dying Young in the Arms of Music moved many people to tears, a must watch that we'll put in the show notes. Please welcome onto the worthy podcast, the incredible, loving, empathetic Maggie James.
1: Hello, Lucas.
0: Thanks for joining us all the way from Montreal. Thanks for having me. Well, we'll start off with how we start all our podcasts. Um, Where did you like to play as a child?
1: My favourite area to explore or to play and my earliest memory about playing with other kids or going out to play, it's a very unusual area. It's not a, you know, it's not a playground, it's not a park, but it's, four corridors that are communal corridors within the apartment complex that I lived in. So when I was little, we lived in um, an, an apartment complex in Hong Kong, that um, each apartment complex has more than hundreds of units and each floor has four corridors that share by all um, apartments and all the kids every afternoon will come out together and hang out and run around and chase each other along the four corridors. There were no play equipments. It's us kids with our imagination. And still today, it was it's still my absolute favorite
0: memories. That's such a unique experience. Um, how was that play perceived by the other tenants? Uh yeah, you do
1: get a lot of moms and dads shout out, come on, it's dinner time. <laughs> or don't don't chase our kids why are you crying like there's a lot yeah. of shouting but that's just part of kids and but also the other thing is all the apparent all the other parents because on our floor there were 20 other families Wow! so every family's all the parents look after each other's kids so if, if, you know, my mum and dad running late, um, coming home um, and grandma and granddad's not ready for dinner, the other mum's ready for dinner, she might call her, Maggie, do you want dinner tonight here? I'll call your mum and let her know. Okay. And then you'll just go to someone else for dinner until bath time, then your mum would drag you back and it's it's fantastic. It's the, it's um, wonderful.
0: The true village to raise a child.
1: Yes, definitely, definitely.
0: and. What did your journey look like from the corridors of Hong Kong to being in Australia to being finding yourself in the field of music therapy?
1: Mm. well, I think having a Chinese background play is it, it looks very different mm. um, um I didn't have that much that much toys when I was little, and um I was actually talking to my husband tonight that you know when I was young like looking in our Children's my girls' playroom. There's loads of toys that I was saying to him that when I was little, I only have one tri bike. That's all I had. And look at them, they've got like so many things. But I guess, you know, looking back then, when you only had so minimal, you have to be creative. And I think that creativity um started from when I was young. Because yep. you didn't have much. So you, you use your imagination. You use, I don't know, tapping on the stairs, on the the bars of um, the rail um, and um, jumping up and down, dancing along to songs that you make up. I guess that's probably paved a way for how I became a music therapist and probably where I got my creativity from.
0: So you followed that path of music. From a from an early age all, all the way through your studies?
1: Definitely. I think um, I, I'm, I'm very blessed that from a very young age my parents could see that I have a um love or or you can also say a gifts of music. Mm-hmm. Um my parents um blessed me with um, piano lessons from the age of two. Um, so from a very young age, I just loved making up songs, and I love using songs to make people happy. So that's probably something that I know that that's innate in me: using music to connect. And I think through that, um, throughout the years, when I grow up, I have always had music in my life, whether it is learning piano or flute, singing, guitar, saxophone, violin. All those instruments I like to give it a go yeah. and I think from then I lead to in my university when I had to choose what I want to do I you know in within music there's not that many options so I was trying to pick between being a performer being a pianist um, or a music teacher or something else And I remember um, in the first year of university, I still didn't know about music therapy. So I went into the path of being a piano, well, being a pianist. So I was doing lots of long hours of playing and I feel very disconnected from the world. And like, you know, um, when I was little, it's all about using music to connect. So I felt that there was something missing, a huge component of my, my meaning of, of using music or enjoying music is gone. Mm. So I've looked into, okay, well, what, what career that I can do that I would be able to use my tool, which is music, to connect. I did explore, obviously, the most typical path, which is a music educator. Uh, yes, you can connect, but connect through teaching. It was it still didn't sit right with me. So I came across music therapy. And I remember I spent a month with a music therapist um, that I was volunteering my time to be her helper. And I watched the power of music through her, how she used music to connect with children that are um, intellectually disabled or physically disabled. And I saw these children from being very dysregulated and frustrated sitting in a group to very calm, as well as joyful, it's like there was a key opened their door that all the potentials came out. Mm. Those that were not talking started singing and tapping to uh, tapping along to beats to music, and I was just fascinated. And from then on, I decided that yep, I've got to I've got to make this as my lifelong career. So I went and did, studied music therapy, and. Um, yeah, and then got my first job at the Royal Children's Hospital um, in Queensland, which is now the Queensland Children's Hospital.
0: That's amazing. And for those listeners are going, well, you're going on about music therapy. What's what is music therapy for those listeners that don't know?
1: Oh, that's a that's a very good question. <laughs> um, music therapy it's basically using music as a tool that um, therapeutically address specific emotional, physical, psychological and social goals. So what I mean by that is music becomes our vehicle um, as any registered music therapist would have completed their, their master study in Australia or in other countries. Um, would would know that, you know, um, once you receive the referral or a child that you need to meet to see them, you'll start to do an assessment to find out, okay, well, what? how can we use music to enhance the areas that need to be improved? So some of them could be... Like when I talk about physical, I could be talking about um, strengthening their muscles um, with fine motor skills or using their hands. So if I'm talking about young children, because that's my area. So using their hands to grasp onto the shaker and using simple music playing to strengthen each of their muscles group in their hands. Or it can be communication goals. So, um, for example, children... Um, with a speech impairment, we use singing, we use, um, humming, we use anything that activate our vocal cords, um, through music, um, you know, making clicking sound or anything um, that creates an opportunity for for a musical play to achieve their vocal output. So that's how we maximise the communication goals. So I guess music therapy is not focusing on, oh, I'm going to teach them how to count. It's not so much about the educational outcome, but it's more about the developmental, emotional and social
0: outcomes. Yeah, it's it's, for me, really, as an overview, seems like it's about, creating a being state not so much a doing state
1: yes yeah the process
0: yeah and it's not something that's new age for those listeners it's not something that's just recent this has been around like the first research coming out in the 1800s around Mm. this and even further back um even it's mentioned in the bible about music soothing the soul of um stressed stress and anxious um, That's right. Yeah, it's been around a long time, and I think everyone innately knows that music, what's it, soothes a savage beast, if you will. Um, but what's happening in now? Why are we so um, drawn to it?
1: I guess like you said that it's it's not new, um, but it's also something that I think people can truly feel at ease mm. when you listen to music. So it, it kind of you've got this intuition that, oh, yes, music equals to good. And in the age of now that we're trying to explore holistic therapy yep input um, because I want to say away the word alternative because I don't believe music therapy is alternative it's more holistic um, approach and there are lots of evidence and and scientific evidence as well so I think um, the reason I feel why there's so many more awareness also with social media people's looking for ways that they can actually make themselves feel good that they can do at home that they can do in in the fingertips, you know, Um, and I think that's why, you know, I I, I love your question, what is music therapy? Because I think that what we do every day is using music as a form of therapy, which is different to music therapy. And I am a big believer that using music as a form of therapy is as important as music therapy itself. You know, when I feel stressed, I also put on some music and actually make myself feel feel more at ease. Um, and to me, that is using music to relax. It's yeah. not music therapy. Um, and I think, you know, when, you know, obviously for all the listeners out there, if, if you feel stressed, definitely listen to music. But if you feel like, you know, listening to music, it doesn't really work. A music therapist, how they can look into it is, well, analyse what sort of music that you're listening to. Yeah. There's research that recently came out um, looking into teenager listen, listening to music when they feel sad. Mm-hmm. And they analyze what sort of music that they're listening to. The music that they're listening to that are positive mm-hmm. are more likely to lift the mood, decrease their heart rate, therefore they feel more subtle yep. and improve their oxygen saturation and therefore that they're, they're more opening up to allow blood circulation. Whereas when they're listening to more sad and including the lyrics and the music, more more leaning towards the sadness, their physical status decrease, their oxygen saturation decrease um, and their heart rates increase in a way that they feel anxious. So there's it's very important that it's not just music. It's not just, you know, you can't just say that, oh, when you feel sad, go and listen to music. Yeah. It's what type of music as well.
0: Yeah. And there's that tendency for people to leverage it in both directions, as you mentioned there. Like you're feeling down, you're like, okay, I'm gonna waller in this. I'm gonna put on that sad, sad and sadness and um really go deep on it. And then it's only through going through that transition and acknowledging it you can come out the other side for some people. So well, it can be like the both sides of the scale and I think we we can we see in society this intrinsic motivation to move towards music like in the gym this morning I looked around with this podcast yeah. in mind and like 99% of people have got headphones in and um I had that I had that brief panic as I went to go into the gym this morning and realized my headphones weren't there and then I'd have yeah. to I'd have to listen to their amped up <laughs> gym music and I was like I'm not sure I can go. It was really interesting because I've been reading about the music therapy and then going, okay, just observe where it, um, where it is in my life. And that was a prime example just this morning how I was so turned off by the thought of going in and being exposed to music that just did not align with me and where That's I'm right. at in my journey. So I can really push and pull you from a very, very mm-hmm. emotional level. So there's music therapy from the emotional and the physical and I encourage anyone to jump online and just Google like music therapy results or music therapy facts and you can see video footage of people performing music with children as therapy and seeing monumental turnarounds in children from coming out of comas to doing rehabilitation and you can physically see the children stop like they're not engaged at all the music starts and then they get like you were saying, they get that smile on their face. They get that motivation to move and move towards that music, which is phenomenal. But you've mm. also taken it to an- another realm and you specialize in, as I mentioned, in the um, introduction, um, in intensive care and palliative care. So for mm. the listeners, can you break down, one, how you, how you found yourself in that field and um, what it's all about?
1: Hmm. Um. I. I think. Um. Uh, how I. I became a music therapist. You know, back in eighteen years ago, and um. I. And uh, when I first started, I was um. Working in the rehabilitation unit. So where I was working mostly for children with acquired brain injury. Mm. And with the amazing medical technology. Um and the treatment method at the moment, most of our children would be able to survive. But I've also met many that were not able to survive. And through working with those children um, during the times, I really, this may sound weird, but I fell in love with um, the opportunities and the, uh, the privilege in working with children that, that, um, that were dying and um, I really felt connected and I really felt there weren't many opportunities for these children to experience joy and fun before they die. So I really feel a strong pull into this area. And that's how I've started. And, and um, I met with the um, director of intensive care back then at the Royal Children's Hospital and proposed the idea of um, working with children in intensive care, um, especially in supporting children who are in, in palliative care. So children, whether they uh, born with a life limiting conditions or whether suddenly unfortunately with an illness or accident um, they were not expected to live for very long um and um i was very lucky that i was granted with three years funding to work in this area and that was back in 2009 i think and since then it was just going and going and, and non-stop and um yeah, and and also through that journey I also um, went and studied neurologic music therapy and became a neurologic music therapist because obviously like you said we we know that there's something great and and, and fun and lovely well it's it's more than that mm. um I believe that there must be something that's happening up the brain area so I went into study and explore well neurologically how does that work especially when a brain, that's dying because a lot of the areas in the brain would slowly shut down. Well, what is the role of music in our brain then, especially when a child's brain is shutting down? And I think all those elements just fascinated me. Um, And then that's how I started to journey and became a um, paediatric palliative care music therapist.
0: And um, during your TED Talk, and as we said, we'll put in the notes, it wasn't just the child that was a recipient of this music mm-hmm. therapy. You've got some um, great examples of this really helping parents during this traumatic time as well.
1: Obviously, you know, a child is always will come with the family unit, yeah. you know. Um, so when you work with a child, you can't separate the parents and you must, like I would never want to separate the parents anyway. So, um, we, you know, when, you, when I'm delivering music therapy or when I'm in the sessions doing music therapy with the child, I would always involve and invite the parents to be part of it because at the end of the day, music therapy is not just for the child, it's for the family. Um, what the child needed the most, the love of their parents. So it is about using music to connect and bond everyone that's in the room, Um, whether it's one last time or whether it's a very long goodbye. So because some children, when they become palliative, it can be a very long journey as well. One of the longest journey that I have had with a child was 10 years. He became palliative when he was one, um, wow. and he was very lucky that he he was able to enjoy um, life and pass away when he was ten. So it could be a very long journey as by well, using music to to build memories yep. with the parents with the
0: child. And what does that practice look like? Like what are mm. you? What's the practice that you're performing?
1: So usually, once when we met um, a child um, with the parents, we ask them what kind of music that they like to listen to, because, like you said, you know, when you go to the gym, you, it doesn't align with what you love. Mm. It's like oh, I don't, I feel disconnected. I, I don't want any part of it anyway. So we always ask the parents, you know, what what the, their child like to listen to. Uh, whether it's Paw Patrol music or whether it's Wiggles or, you know, some really trick us to tell us that they love ACDC and users go, okay, yep, I'll try to do that. I'll try to bring ACDC in this inappropriate forum, <laughs> you know, especially a lot of the time I will be singing before the child, take the last, you know, take the last breath and you just feel highly inappropriate singing Ice Ice Baby. Um, but, that's what they want yeah and then you know it's not about me it's about the parents and a child um uh so what that looks like usually you know like I said ask the parents what they really normally like and I often um meet the patient and the parents or grandparents whoever that wants to be part of it can come um in the intensive care unit where the child most of my patients are not conscious mm. they will be on a life support um with you know, breathing tubes and or anything that attached to them. So I often bring my guitar and some small instruments in case if, you know, some of my patient may be still um, aware and awake, then they can join in if they want. So after we know and work out what sort of music that the parents and the child usually like to listen to, we often start with um, checking um, with the medical team uh, as to what direction we're heading. So some days when I go into a patient's room, the medical team might give me a hint that, you know, today's a good day. Um, uh, you know, little baby Johnny's in, in in good shape and it looks like that we, we're having a happy day, so let's do something fun. Then I would know that the music that I bring, you, when I say when I bring is when I sing and, and play on my guitar would be a bit more upbeat. Uh, a bit more playful. Um, it's about using music to provide an opportunity to play, to have fun. Um, and for young, for, for not when not younger kids, for older kids like teenagers. Sometimes it will be like, okay, you know, we've got the breathing tube out we're talking today. So do you want to write a song together? Do you want to record a song, make a CDs? Um, some teenagers that I used to work with, um, they would want to leave behind their legacy, Mm. writing songs. So we'll compile, you know, lots of songs that they write and record it together. And so it really dictated by, not by the medical team, but dictated by the child's status of the day. So some days if the medical team give us a heads up that, you know, we're not really heading to a good direction. We may be down to hours or days. So that would be when I go in tentatively to check in where the parents want to take the direction. Mm. You know, do they just want to do something gentle? Then I maybe just be their bed uh, by their bedside singing their favorite songs. It may be just sitting by next to them and holding their hands and wait for them to have their awake moment and ask the patient what they want to do. Usually because most of these patients, most of my patients would be nonverbal because of the the breathing tube, I always have, you know, other material for them to to sign on the board or write on the board or point to pictures of what they want to do as well. So you need to find different ways of communication. And some days I go in, it may just be chatting with the parents. (laughs) Um, And in a TEDx talk that you mentioned, um, which was that when I was working with this little boy and and his mum, and a lot of the time this little boy was asleep, um, obviously because he was so sick. And um, um, his mum and I started a project that we wrote a song together over the course of a few months for her little boy, um, which she sung to him, um, as he passed away.
0: It's big, big stuff, big stuff, big impact. And just want to honor you for your, it takes a lot of bravery and vulnerability to being put yourself in that situation and, um, hats off to you. Not many people could do it. And that's a great noble task to be there and be vulnerable with families. Um, how was the process received from like traditional med medicine? Because I could draw the similarities between um, alternate approaches. Well, we know it's not an alternative approach; it's a proven approach, but um, mm. that have generally a disconnect between the institution. So, how was it received by the medical staff? About you going in there, and any stories you got around their views?
1: Um, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy.
0: Yeah, It
1: was not easy. And I bet it's still not easy. Um, obviously, I'm on maternity leave at the moment. That's what I mean. I, I bet it's still not easy because I'm currently not practicing. I'm, you yeah. know, looking after my kids. Um, but it's it's not easy. It's not easy because I think it's not a quick fix. Yeah, um, Therapy, it's not like taking Panadol, 99%, your pain will go away. Yeah um and it, it takes time it takes relationship and um yeah so I think it also takes a lot of education so yeah. um, a lot of our doctors we you know obviously you become a doctor because you want to help and I think it is about us as music therapists how we actually explain to the doctor how we can help um not just only by another person making someone smile um unfortunate medical system um when the medical system is financially so um high cost um you know when being a music therapist um that the taxpayer is paying it needs to be more than just joy more than just fun and I think that's the beautiful thing about music um yes we bring joy we bring fun but we also improve physical um uh, physical outcomes you yeah. know like i said earlier um uh, it improves our oxygen saturation it decrease our blood pressure and all those things um all those physical numbers that i've mentioned it also help when a child is dying or when humans dying um we know that the latest research that published um last year in june um that um talks about that music um uh, uh, hearing is the last sense that human lost before they die. What that mean is when our brain gradually shut down from the top down to our brain stem, everything slowly shut down. It's like turning off lights. Mm-hmm. Each lobe, each section of our brain slowly off, turning off lights, and unless with our brain stem. And music is still able to stimulate, and brain stem still able to respond to brain st- uh, music. Our brain is still able to respond to music until the very end, until our brain stem, which is the last piece of brain muscle that switch off the lights. So that's what, how powerful music is. It's not just making someone happy, fun, relax, but it is actually neurologically stimulating, engaging, and connecting with us, with human, with our child, until the very end. So it's almost like I feel like every time I work with a patient, I feel like I am using music to hold on to the hands mm. until they let go, until their brain brainstem switch off. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we're able to offer as music therapists
0: to children who are, are, in, are dying. Yeah. For me, what comes to mind is creating peace in those times, mm. you know, and not just for that child but for the family as well. Yeah, yes. And I can see the parallels between what you do in a very intense environment, but there's similarities between education and early childhood education and things like this. And, you know, you're coming up, you're trying to portray this huge value to the child, but it's you're going up against it something that isn't valued by the wider community. And so, mm. what, what keeps you going? What keeps you motivated? Saying, "Well, I'm keep going. I don't, I don't mind if people don't do the way I do and see it the way I do." What is yeah. your driver in that?
1: Yeah, and I think that obviously I forgot that I didn't finish answering your question. You know, in in, in getting the med- the buy in from the medical, and and it kind of that's the drive. I really, and I think every time a doctor came up to question, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, I, I've got a nurse to come in wanting to come in to do other, you know, other things, you know, um, I, I, instead of funding your position, I could have buy something else or I, I feel like, okay, no, you don't get it. And mm. I think that's actually drives me. Yeah. Um, try to make someone else understand, because I believe that if you can make that person understand, that person also becomes your champion. Not a champion for you, but champion for the future children who are unfortunately dying. And I think every time, every time someone question or have doubts, I guess I don't know. I'm I've, I've, as I'm getting as I'm getting older, I feel like I'm trying to turn that into, "Hey, you're curious what I'm doing? I'll I'll let you know." So instead of feeling fighting against it, yeah. I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna get you by in. Yeah. Like I, I think I see it as more a positive challenge and turn that around because I feel like throughout my 18 years in healthcare, back in back when in the days when I was working at the Royal Children's Hospital, at one point I was the only music therapist working four hours a week. And I was lucky enough together with my team, with my manager, able to grow that position to become the biggest, the largest music therapy team in the country. Mm. So I feel like I've experienced being alone and gradually grow my team. I, I really feel that, you know, working against it could see as so exhausting, but also it gives me energy and power that. I you know, i I can turn this around.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I really, and I think every time I meet a child that that passed away and meet a family that passed away, when I see the peace like you said, and the joy, it's weird to use the word peace and joy when we talk about death. But that's what I saw. that's what I experienced every time I met a family and able to offer, music that's what I could see and I think that gave me the energy and the power that you know there is something good in this and I don't want I really believe and also you know the other thing that I was sharing in TEDx talk was working in the at the orphanage when I was watching all these children that were dying in the room there were 15 babies dying at the same time that I just felt like that there's nothing that I could do for them but sing mm. and as soon as I start singing I could see the change like every time when I feel exhausted or I feel someone's questioning me then I just think of all these positive moments and it just gives you the drive that I can't let this go every child should die with dignity and love palliative care is traumatic it's sad you know I personally experience it with my family I know no one wants to see their the family go and, and die. But if music could offer that one hope, that letting me know that, you know, my family members dying in the arms of comfort and and peace, I would want that for my family.
0: You connected with you connect with families after like as Mm. they process this grief as well Um, Mm. and you've it's it's not just speculated evidence you've actually have that feedback Mm. directly from the families on telling you how much this meant to them
1: yeah definitely um and obviously we don't reach out to families and a lot of families after their child passed away they will come back to the hospital to say goodbye because you know obviously we were there for the most significant moment of their lives and most traumatic moments Obviously, um a lot of the time a lot of families being so kind that they want to say their goodbye but also express their gratitude and that's when we often get feedbacks from families um and and seeing the joy and peace and uh, in their face just speaks volume and a lot of the time in music therapy, we offer the parents whether, you know, if they would like to video on their phone and record it on their phone, they're very welcome to. And a lot of times when parents come and say goodbye, they'll show all the past videos. Look at this. You know, he was so happy here when he was singing with you and he was kicking his legs to play the bells. And, you know, you can see that you have left a musical legacy for these parents to remember their child in a positive way.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, in being involved in such a heavy field, but euphoric one as well, because you are absolutely contributing to these families. Um, what encouragement may, would you have for people that are feeling like the daunting mission of wanting to help children, but feeling weighed down by the monumental mission? It might be in therapy, but it might be just be in education.
1: I think that, you know, obviously know your strength, mm. it's it's important, and know your weakness as well, you know, um, everyone plays a part in doing what suits them, you know, yeah, for me, it's music therapy and palliative care, but, you know, you you don't have to play in the same game, there, there are lots of other areas and other children that um, not, I don't want to say need help, but Need you to amplify mm. their life, yeah um and I think is finding the why, the right the right button that clicks with you
0: yeah find find your why, yes <laughs> and i um not sure if you would you're exposed to this, but a question that comes to mind is how do you support someone to deal with a death like even from a sibling, there may be siblings involved and children understanding that. Is mm. that something you're involved with, with the families and as well?
1: Yeah, we're very lucky that um obviously because working in a large hospital, we we have a team of palliative care practitioners. We've got occupational therapists, yeah. the speech pathologist, um, the um the doctors, nurses, um, everyone plays part to support the family. So you definitely work with siblings, um, trying to get them to understand and 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 do what they want in this journey of saying goodbye. Mm. Um, working with um, siblings and families are, are definitely part of what we offer. Mm. Um, and often it's it's about whether they actually want to be using music as part of them understanding the journey of saying goodbye. So um, yeah, it's 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 really dictated by the families. And um, I, I often have the privilege to support siblings to say goodbye in their ways. Um, like I mentioned before, a lot of the time working with children in palliative care. The patient itself may not be when you arrive on the day. It, they may not be um, fully awake and, and ready to be engaged. And a lot of the time, other families in the room. So your role is also to supporting them and offer them. Okay, well, you know, little patient is asleep. Um, I see that six year old sister and then two year old brother is also here. Um, should we make music together? you know what should we play for you know your brother who's sleeping in bed that are sick and and through that play through the singing through playing making music together often they would talk about other things that dip inside their heart as well um sometimes as music therapists we allow them to explore that further through our training we we, we also um uh exposed to the elements of psychology um, and play therapy and child-like therapy, all those topics. So there are certain levels of skills that we're able to handle as well as supporting these children to explore their feelings. But there are times that also we we can see that, okay, it's more than just allowing them to express. There's something more to that that's quite clinical. Then we refer them to psychologists or invite psychologists to come into our session to to engage in the session together so that it's not just me but the psychologist actually using her skills to to guide to 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 treat or to um, explore what is happening with the siblings in regards to dealing with the um, the patient's death or the patient's dying process
0: yeah and um, for those people wanting to find out more they might have may have ignited a little spark in them today to about how to support families in this field. Um, how would they go about wanting to find out more? I
1: think it depends how what, what that um, what that help looks like that you yeah. want to do. You know, obviously, um, uh, in Queensland, the Queensland Children's Hospital, Um, as as well as the Hummingbird House, um, which is a hospice. Um, They always look for volunteers. So that could be a first start. Um, And if you want something deeper, then definitely encourage you to explore, you know, if it's music therapy, um, contact the association, the Australian Music Therapy Association, to find out more, you know, what it takes to be a music therapist. Um, and maybe think about, you know, which direction do you want to take? Is it something that, you know, alongside of what you are doing now, you you want to, to contribute or whether you want to really take that seriously to be your career? Um, I think starting the conversation is the first step for sure.
0: Yeah. And people can find your TED Talk, as I mentioned, in the show notes. But finally, I just want to say a uh-huh. heart felt thank you for all you do um it's an absolute integral time in a part of life um Mm. i was actually i think i was year four or five and i was in hospital for meningitis and i had a young man because i was in intensive care unit Mm. i had a young um, boy my age pass away next to me and then Mm. but to see the support that reached out to me that wasn't involved. I remember that, like from that young age, and see the support that was given to his family around that. Um, yeah, it's just so integral. So it really hits a hits a note with me. So really appreciate all you do. Your TEDx talk is absolutely phenomenal. So beautiful. And thank um, you. Just keep up this amazing, amazing work. And thanks for all you've done for pioneering this field as well for so long and um, getting this out there.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: Thank you for joining us on another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. That was The Emotional Journey with Maggie James. The link to her TEDx talk is in the show notes. Please like, please subscribe, and I look forward to you joining us again soon on a Play It Forward Worthy podcast.